it's Matariki, as I mentioned. And like I said, it's a new tradition for me, um, but I appreciate the season. Um, given that so many of our traditions are northern, in terms of they've come from the northern hemisphere, often it feels like our schedule is built on a northern hemisphere, um, you know, rhythms, <coughs> which just don't really fit, because we're on the other side of the planet. So we tend to be quite out of step with, uh, with the natural world. Um, and in the Northern Hemisphere, for instance, Easter co coincides with spring, and so there's this thing of new life and this thing of, of life bursting forth, whereas for us, Easter kind of happens and then we go into winter. So everything's kind of topsy-turvy when you live in New Zealand, which is why Matariki is, is really lovely. It's, um, it's uh, very well connected to, to where we are. <coughs> I've never found New Year's Eve uh, in particularly inspiring celebration. Uh, never has much meaning to me. Feel it's a little hollow. I don't know. Maybe I'm a Grinch, but but um, something about being right in the depth of winter right now. You know, we're in the shortest days. Um, we are the furthest from. Well, we're tilted the furthest away from the sun. You know, um, every day from here on out, it's going to get brighter. It's going to get lighter. It's going to get warmer. So we've kind of crossed the threshold here, and that's exciting. Um, <clears throat> and as Christians, you know, some sometimes people might object to to this. They might say, "Oh, I don't know. That sounds a bit." Um, not very Christian to celebrate these things, but I think as Christians we can celebrate the we can celebrate Matariki and other things without having to agree wholeheartedly with the whole cosmological package that necessarily comes with it. Um, I think I think we can be respectful and we can be honouring in a way without necessarily needing to um, change our minds on on some significant theological things. So. Yeah, um, and Christians have always done this throughout the years. You know, Christians have been pretty clever at ways of um, engaging culture and being in pluralistic societies and speaking um, God's word into into different traditions and different rhythms. Um, <clears throat> so it's a good opportunity, I think. And at its heart, Matariki is about remembering those who have passed away, uh, celebrating the present, and looking ahead to the future. And I like that, you know, I feel like uh, those are Christian impulses as well, you know, remembering, celebrating, anticipating. So it can be a gift to us if we choose to participate and we don't need to lose our sense of, of time or, um, and identity in the process. And uh, <clears throat> so, so today I just wanted to talk, almost take this opportunity as, as a moment to do that, to sort of reflect on where we are in the year. We're, we're halfway through the year in terms of our Sundays. We're kind of at a midpoint, and it'd be nice to just pause and to reflect and remember what's happened, where we've come from, to acknowledge and celebrate where we are, and to anticipate where we're going. So it's slightly <coughs> slightly um, out of the box in terms of our normal, our normal um, preaching style and our normal preaching series. So Christians have a, like I was saying, Christians have a pretty different sense of time, or we ought to. Um, Christians have a very different sense of uh, where we belong in time and history. So we, we, unlike any other cultural or religious group, we confess that Jesus is the center of history. He is the, the core and the center of history. And he's the center uh, around whom all of our lives orient and are pointed. Um, whereas most, <clears throat> this is not a beat up by the way, but most, most non-Western 
religious and indigenous views of time are that it's sort of this great circle uh, that, that, that repeats through cycles um, and typically connects with the natural cycles of summer and winter or rainy seasons and dry seasons. And life in this system um, is all about maintaining this, uh, the rituals and the, and the, um, <clears throat> the rites that are handed down from the ancestors and repeating the functions of, of time gone by and people gone by. So that's, that's a quite a common view to lots of religious worldviews. Um, and then we have this sort of innovation from the secular worldview, which is relatively new uh, on the scene, but the secular worldview which says, no, time is this arrow which is flying towards progress. It's always moving towards greater and greater and greater things. Um, <clears throat> so morality in the secular system, or the secular way of thinking about time, is all about change. It's all about progress. It's all about agitating for change um, and betterment. <clears throat> and this explains phrases like, you know, being found on the wrong side of history or the right side of history. As if, uh, as if history has this, yeah, has this um, path and we need to make sure we're on the right path. And it also, um, you know, so at, at its worst, I guess it explains some of the, some of the looking down upon the path, the looking down upon uh, what came before, um, seeing those who have gone before as being not quite as enlightened or not quite as intelligent or clever as, as we are. Um, C.S. Lewis referred to this as chronological snobbery, which is a, a nice phrase. So Christianity is neither of these things. It's neither circular nor it's sort of neither a utopian line heading to greater and greater things. It's actually a strange sense of time. <clears throat> we don't look forward to a time in history where uh, our technology and our culture will save us or where our technology and our culture will heal us. We're not looking forward to, to that. Um, we also don't live in fear of an unknown future. We're not, uh, we're not kind of nervously opening the newspaper in the morning thinking, oh, what's going to happen? Because we actually look back to our time, our centre of time in Jesus. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and we also don't find ourselves caught in a sort of infinite circle of time. So we look back to the work of God and the life and in the death and resurrection of Jesus and in the sending of the Holy Spirit. And so paradoxically we find that our future is somehow secured in our past. Which you get what I mean. Christians have a weird sense of time. So all of our all of our individual lives, all of our joy, all of our suffering, it's all tucked into Jesus' story. It all finds its meaning in him, and it all finds its meaning in this particular relationship to time. So with all that said, I thought, <clears throat> you know, given that it's Matariki, like I said, it would be nice to do uh, a little reflecting uh, on on who we are, on what God's spoken to us as a people. And um, the way I want to do that is just to remind us of some of the prophetic words and pictures that people have shared uh, about this church and from this church uh, over the last few years. So is that okay? Um, it's not going to be uh, opening the Bible um, and, and preaching so much, but it's going to be a little bit of pulling out some of our treasures and reflecting on who we are as a people. Okay, so well, I ask you, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, <laughs> this is the first one, unboxing. So, does anyone remember this? Yeah, there's a few of you. This sculpture uh, comes from a larger piece that used to adorn 
the wall at Urban when we were down on Newton Road. I don't want to break it. Uh, there it is, right there in the middle. <coughs> so it was created by an artist called Anna Nicholson, who is Dan's sister-in-law, is that right? Yeah, Dan and Amber's sister-in-law, Rosemary's daughter-in-law. Um, and it speaks, I think, uh, is a long time ago, but it speaks of the, this promise uh, that God God holds for us as a as a people, as a church, um, that 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 He promises us a beautiful life, not an easy life, not a painless life, um, not a conventional life, but a beautiful life. And it could equally be called a true life or a good life. Because that's the life which God promises us. Like I said, not a life without pain, but a beautiful, a good, and a true life. And so that was on our wall for years and years, this sculpture. Um, and we're sort of on the move a little bit as a people. We don't have our own building, so it's not on the wall at the moment. But hopefully one day it will be again. Um, because it's a little anchor for us to remember who we are and what God has for us. And I really like this piece. I like the eclecticism of it. I like how every letter is really different, really, really unique. Um, some are some are spiky and some are uh, bold. Some are, are very um, bejeweled. Some are <coughs> uh, you know simple and shy and reserved. But they all belong, and they all form. They all form the beautiful life. And that's, you know, that's us. That's who we are, you know. So we, we're all different. We're all coming from different angles and different, different places. But we all belong and we all together make this, this beautiful life. So that's the first treasure from our past. And the second one I just have to get, and this is not intended to be dramatic, but I forgot to get it earlier. So uh, some of you may remember, and many of you won't, but this red-headed Tasmanian called Ray Smith. And he was a part of Urban for many, many years before I moved north. And, um, you know, this is probably more Victoria's story because I think she was the one who was liaising with him. But, um, but, but she asked Ray one day, like, whether he would consider building us a cross. I think this is right. And Ray was very earnest, and he took it very seriously. He always would think he was quiet and thoughtful, and he would, so he, he said yes, and then he went about thinking and praying about what kind of cross and, and, and what kind of materials and how it should be built. So uh, he had this habit of praying that God would just give him what he needed, as we probably all should, um, that God would give him the materials, that God would show him what to do. And... Uh, and not long after that, he came across this timber, which I think he found. Is that right? On the side of the road, yeah. So, <clears throat> legally, yeah. I mean, he was Tasmanian, but I don't think he pinched it from a building site. Um, <laughs> that's a bit mean. Um, he's a great guy. Um, so, anyway, he made this cross for us. And, uh, you know, it goes without saying the cross is a significant symbol. We don't really need to go on about the cross. So much um, that it speaks of God's love. It speaks of the full extent of God's love. Uh, that that there's nowhere where His love won't reach. You know, even to the 
worst possible places of human experience, that's where God's love goes, to death and even to death on a cross. Um, that's what the cross reminds us of, that God's love is that great. And it also reminds us that any of our suffering is found in this cross um, and that it's redeemed in this cross. It's redeemed by the one who went through and has come through the other side alive and victorious. So um, all of our suffering is redeemed in him and it's this treasure for us, this cross, that we ought to probably drag out a bit more from time to time. Um, and then the subsequent pictures all come... There's many more pieces of art which... Um, which are in the archives, but those are two physical things. The subsequent pictures I'll put up on the screen here, they all come from a prayer night which was held in 2021. And it was a, it was a really special moment, I think, for our church. We prayed and we sought, sought God uh, and we, we, we asked, you know, who, who do you want us to be and where do you want us to go? So, um, <clears throat> and I just thought I'd take this opportunity just before we get into it, just to say a word about the use of prophetic pictures at Urban, because I guess for a lot of us it's just quite normal, whereas for some of us we might come from other church traditions or other non-church experiences and think, what is this thing with people saying, I have a picture? Um, what's that all about? And that seems a bit odd, you know? Um, so so we, yeah, we may take it for granted, but, um, but we believe that God has revealed himself in various ways. We believe that God reveals himself in creation. Um, and that, you know, that we can seek and find God in creation, but that his most definitive revelation, his final and full revelation is in the life of Jesus. So as it says in Hebrews 1, uh, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he, Jesus, has become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is um, just to say, that I think what the writer of Hebrew is saying, listen to the Son. He is the full revelation. He's the exact image of the Father. And there's no name higher than his. Uh, even an angel can't give you a message that's higher than the message that Jesus gives us. Um, Colossians 2, Paul speaks about Jesus similarly. He speaks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God in whom are contained all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so Jesus is the final word. He's the definitive word about who God is. Okay, so, but how do we access Jesus? We access Jesus through, through sacrament, I guess, through, through the, the, the table. We access Jesus through each other when we, when we see him in, in our lives as a community. Um, <clears throat> we access Jesus through prayer. But I think most primarily for us, we would say we access Jesus through Scripture. We, we hear his words in Scripture in a unique way. Uh, it's easy to make Jesus up to be whatever we'd like him to be. It's easy for us to, to use Jesus as a, like an empty envelope we can stick things into. Um, but I think the words of Jesus don't allow us to do that, at least not so easily. So... Um, 
so yeah, the, the Gospels in particular, they bring us into contact with the living words of Jesus. So scripture is foundational for how we hear God at, at Urban. Um, but we also have this belief that God is speaking still. He's still speaking. Uh, and that word that he speaks never is higher than what he's spoken in Jesus. It's never beyond what's already said. It's almost sort of a timely thing. We, we talk about this idea of having a feeling or an impression, um, and it often comes to mind in ways that people will describe, like a picture that flashes across the, flashes across the screen of their mind almost. Um, I've heard the Jesuits refer to it as prey dreaming, like daydreaming, kind of opening ourselves to pray and to opening our imagination and, and trusting that God's guiding the process. But we have to weigh all these things, you know. We have to we have to weigh them because we all know our minds are pretty chaotic places. Um, so <clears throat> we we acknowledge that it has to be weighed and tested. But we prefer to lean in. We prefer to say, let's lean in to see if maybe God would speak, because we trust that God's good and we trust that He speaks. Um, so rather than leaning into doubting that He doesn't speak, we almost take a little risk and say, what? Let's stop, let's listen, let's wait, let's see if God would speak to us. Um, and, you know, it is riskier um, because we're sharing things which might be partial impressions um, and they do need to be you know, brought back into line with Scripture. Is this true? But it seems that often when people share words, they carry life. They carry this sort of tangible experience of life. They unlock something for people. It's not special knowledge, it's not magic or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's just like God gives the language that we need just when we need it to, to say exactly what we need to hear. Um, and so, yeah, that's why we invite people to listen to God's voice in this sort of way at Urban. And we don't ever um, elevate uh, a prophetic word above the witness of Scripture, but we do believe that God sometimes speaks to us directly like that. So, there's a big caveat. I just thought it was probably important to say that because um, a lot of the time we'll just blast through that stuff and people might not really be fully there with it. So um, so some words that God's given us, some treasures that God's spoken to us. Ah, I do have one more prop. Blind your eyes. So, <clears throat> so during this prayer night... Um, Sorry if that hurts your eyes, but um, there's sort of a meaning in that as well. Um, someone shared a picture of God lifting the lampshade off, off a light, lifting the, the, the lampshade off that bulb and exposing the brightness of it. And this was seen uh, in connection to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 14 to 15, um, the sense that uh, at, the, at that time as a church, we were kind of tucked away uh, on the edge of town underneath a building behind a dumpster we were <laughs> like literally um in a funny corner of the city um and yet it seemed like god has god just spoke this this word quite clearly that it was time to you know to take the lampshade off the light and to start shining uh, rather than hiding behind the the dumpster um and it was only a few months later that we ended up here which is kind of interesting you know we're, we're on this ridge we're on arch hill we're we're right on the at the top of the hill, and um, yeah, I, at the crossroads of the city. So this this beer bowl, even though it's hard on the eyes, um, I think it's a reminder of of our collective calling to to be a people that shine in the darkness, to be a people who are bright and shining of God's love. 
And um, you know, even though it was connected, I think to that initial move from from Ruru Street to here, <coughs> I think we're still only just at the beginning of understanding what this this promise might mean for us. Um, and like what what we've been talking about a lot lately about being a people who bear God's name, I think it's connected to this image of being a city on a hill, um, being a light on a on a lampstand, and being out there for people to see. So the the fourth picture um, is this reminder that we are a people on the move. The sense of being a pilgrim people. Um, we're not we're not just a social club. We're not a group of people who just get together because we enjoy each other's company. Yeah, we do enjoy each other's company, but that's not what really constitutes us. We're a people on the move um, with a clear sense of a destination to where we're bound. We're going somewhere. We're heading somewhere. We're not settlers here. And um, we recognize that we're like, as it says in First Peter 2.11, we are aliens and exiles in the land. We, we don't we don't belong here in that sense. Um, and yet as we move through the land with our hearts set on pilgrimage, uh, we, we turn places of despair, um, the valley of Bakar, into a place of springs, into places that are, are brimming with life. We're called to turn places that are dead and dry into places that are alive and flourishing, like springs in the desert. So that's one of the pictures which I wanted to bring back out of the treasure box for us this morning just to ponder and to think what would that mean for us again and sort of connected to this is the another verse this one from Jeremiah where we're reminded to stand at the crossroads and look says, stand at the crossroads and look ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. So again, it's this reminder that <laughs> we're, we're on a path, we're moving, um, and it's not necessarily a well-trodden path. You know? It's not necessarily an easy path or a popular path. Um, it's not a new path. It's an ancient path. And in, in Jeremiah's day, he, Jeremiah was calling... Um, those in Jerusalem to remember God's words to the to Moses and that the 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 older generation, um, the covenant community, to remember those ways. That was the ways that he was referring to. The words of the covenant, and the people's response at that time was, "We will not walk in it, and we will not give heed to it." That's what it, Jeremiah says. So God's invitation to us, I think, is similar here: ask for the good way the way of faithfulness to Jesus' words and walk in it and we'll find rest for our souls. And I think, again, that also sort of connects to what I was saying about this Christian idea of time. Um, so this idea that our glory days aren't ahead of us, um, they're, they're not even behind us. Our glory days are all contained in Jesus. They're all found as we participate in his cross and in his resurrection. We okay? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Next picture um, was one that was received, oh, one which has come up again recently, I think, which is interesting. Um, a little different, but I think it was Katie who, who had this picture of our church being like a, a network of wind turbines which together are bringing energy to the city as they're powered by the Holy Spirit. 
And Lance had a similar picture uh, of, uh, of our church being like a water wheel uh, turned by the river of the Holy Spirit, united in love, centered in Christ, and powering the city, bringing light and warmth to, to the city. So both of these pictures, I think, um, are just invitations to grow into this promise that we'd be a people who are as much connected to God as we are connected to each other. It's easy for us to, um, you know, for church to just be a place we go, a, a place we go and hang out in, um, rather than a collective identity which sits right at the heart of our relationship with God. Um, you know, it can also be easy to see mission um, as just this isolated activity that we all have to come up with, like entrepreneurs, um, or maybe something which only really good Christians do, um, really ex excellent Christians engage in mission. But I think this picture shows both hum community and mission as a collective endeavor, and something which we power each other with, and we are powered together by the Holy Spirit. So I think they're, again, just promises, little little invitations from God to say, grow into this, be this. Um, don't live the life alone. Live it together. All right. Then the next the next picture just there's two more to share. And again, this is a nice one. It's very timely I think. Is this picture of our church as ripe baskets of fruit. Is that your word, Harry, maybe? I don't know. Sorry to put you on the spot. Um, each, each basket has different combinations of fruit and no basket is the same <clears throat> on the outside or the inside. The fruitful life. Um, this picture, yeah, like I say, it feels timely given our, our sermon series on bearing fruit. And, um, and you know, just like the picture of the, the lampshade being taken off the lamp, I think it's a picture of our church being a place that's attractive. You know, it's a place where people go, what's in there? Um, they see something ripe and, and flourishing and attractive, a place where people can be nourished. Um, and, you know, I guess if each of our lives are like baskets that hold this fruit um, together with this big feast, you know, with this big feast of God's, of God's gifts and God's love. So that's a, another neat picture. And then the final, the very final one I wanted to bring out today from our treasure box um, is this simple invitation to mission. Open your eyes and see the field. What is in your hand? See what I'm about to do. Come follow me. So in John 4, 35 to 38, Jesus speaks this similar word to his disciples. Uh, this is what he says. This is after he's had this um, amazing conversation with the woman at the well. He says to his disciples, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So <coughs> here... That's that's who we are. We are empowered laborers sent into the field. Um, and I think that Jesus is, again, inviting us to think about this, to think about our, our identity uh, in that sort of way, uh, to share his compassion for the crowd, 
um, and to live with our eyes open to the world, to see what people are living through, to um, and to joyfully participate in what Jesus is doing in the world. So in the second part, you know, what is in your hand? I think that's great. You know, that, that it's Fiona Wadmore shared a picture a few weeks ago about just our, you know, our mission is just at the end of our of our hand. It's just at the it's just at the edge of our driveway. The sense that um, what's right in front of us, you know, God places people right in front of us for us to bless. So what's in your hand? Um, how do we bless the people that God's placed right in front of us? Who are those people? And look what's in your hand reminds me of the story of Moses in the burning bush. So uh, in Exodus 4, 2 to 5, it says, The Lord said to him, to Moses, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. And he, so he threw it at the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand, grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand. And so why, why did God do this? Um, I think it was a, a way of, of validating um, Moses' claim to be an ambassador for God. Um, so, so he wanted to give Moses this sign. Um, with this thing which is in his hand, this simple thing, it's a shepherd's crook which he was just using. It's just his daily tool. And yet God said, use that. Um, I've got this friend in Switzerland who who's very bold um, when it comes to sharing his faith. And um, he talks about it in a similar kind of way. He, he calls himself like a, an ambassador of God. Uh, and so whenever he, an opportunity arises for him to, to pray for somebody, um, he sometimes says something which sounds kind of outlandish, but this is what he says. He says, I'm a messenger of God, and God's given me a message to pass on to you. Um, which is true, isn't it? It's like we actually are... God's ambassadors. We we are we have messages from God to give, not secret messages. God loves you, you know. Like, but but to say I'm a messenger from God, the person's like, whoa, <laughs> really? Yeah, um, yeah. God's got a message for you. Um, it's not doing tricks on people. It's always done in response to situations, um, you know. And, and um, is it is it a weird thing to say? Yeah, it's a totally weird thing to say. But is it a true thing to say? Yeah, it's a totally true thing to say as well. We are. Ambassadors for God, um, <clears throat> but anyway, I think we can take a similar attitude. Maybe not. Maybe none of us are that confident and courageous, but we can say, "God, you've given me something. You've given me something in my hand, um, and so, I, what do you want me to do with it? What's in our hands? What what fields are we looking out upon? What's God about to do? <laughs> See what I am about to do." These are good questions to ask ourselves at the beginning of the new year, right? Right now, at the beginning of the new year, what's in my hand? What's going on out there? And what is God about to do? So, um, yeah, I hope that's been encouraging, helpful, just to kind of go back over some of our treasures. Um, and they might be new to some people. I wouldn't normally spend that much time doing that kind of thing, but... Um, I thought it was important just to acknowledge how, how clearly God's been speaking to us, um, just so we know that we're, we're tucked into his purposes. And we'll resume normal programming next week. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we'll talk about God's faithfulness. And, um, but now I just want to 
do something which every introvert hates, including myself, just to just to gather together in groups of sort of three and three to four, and to go through these questions together. So have a think about it. What what field has God planted you in? Um, and where can you see God at work there? It might just be it might be your workplace, it might be your family, it might be your neighbourhood, um, it might be a friendship. Where can you see God at work? Um, what's in your hand? So what's God given you? It could be something really simple. You know, He's given me a bit. He's given me a bit more time than I normally have, or um, whatever it is. What's He put in your hand? Um, even if it feels insu- insufficient for the task, even if it feels like a wooden stick when you're trying to lead people out of Egypt, it's like. What's in your hand? 